Hey everyone. If you're new to the show, we are an improvisational and collaborative storytelling podcast that's focused on telling fun, character-driven stories. Now, what does that mean? Well, to keep it simple, we sit down at our desks, log in online, and pretend to be someone we're not for a little while, all the while recording it to share with you. We're here to weave a tale for you to enjoy, second by second, line by line. Follow along as our players pretend to be small-town adventurers, doing their best to put some good into the world. And my favorite part about all this is that we have no idea what will happen next. Our story is being told with a game system you may or may not be familiar with. Oh, who am I kidding? It's Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Now, we loosely rely on this system to tell our own stories, independent of the lore and problematic content that comes out of the box with Dungeons & Dragons especially in its own world lore. In short, this just means that we use the game system and some dice to decide what happens next to our characters, not some story or some world that someone else has written for us. I wonder what'll happen this week. Who knows? Let's roll the dice and find out what happens next, together. Okay, so as I mentioned in last week's episode release, um, due to some scheduling issues, because, um, you know, it's the holidays and there's only like two and a half weeks left of the year, um, we haven't had the opportunity to record a play session. So um, we're taking some of the cast members this time around and doing a little more world building, specifically around something that um, we've been kind of talking about behind the scenes, um, specifically for Haley's character. Um, called overcasting, where like a spellcaster can kind of reach a little further than they should um, when it comes to casting a spell, maybe like a death curse kind of thing, or you know, things of that nature. It's like the the anime protagonist moment where like they release all their power and then they explode. We're kind of here to talk today about how to get that ball rolling and into the Asperon games without you know, making it feel wildly overpowered. So we got two cast members with us today. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Hey, it's, uh, I'm Rob. I play Hele. How's it going? Hello, I'm Sundragon. I play O'Reilly. And we have a little listener, listener here who wants to be muted, but that's fine. You didn't have to call him out like that. Mm-hmm. Shine that spotlight right on him as he's probably <laughs> eating some uh, unnamed fast food chain. Reese's involving... peanut butter chips. Oh, gross. All right. chips, yeah. Moving on before that gets wrapped up. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping to make this part of a series of world building episodes for a secret project that we'll be working that I'll be working through next year. So this is kind of a little taste of what's to come. But today we are here to talk about overcasting. Tropes, some cool things you might want to see in game, and like, you know, how might we go about that without breaking the game? Um, because letting a level one character, you know, turbo out all their hit points to cast a ninth level fireball inside of a tavern, we don't want that to happen. It would be funny, but, you know. 
Um, so what I'm kind of talking about is overcasting, um, at least from what I've pulled from other pieces of fiction, is like that inevitable moment when two wizards are fighting and one of them is about to die. And he's like, hey, don't kill me or you'll regret it. And the you regret it is usually an explosion or a monstrous blow or some kind of curse, like expending all of your life energy to do something wild. In D&D terms, that would be the equivalent of someone casting a spell that's way too high of a level for them or taking a spell they know and just turbo juicing it um, to get like a monstrously strong effect at an equally monstrously devastating cost. So I think a good, a good thing that we can do starting off is like talk about maybe pieces of fiction that we like that has this kind of concept in it. If you guys want to start with that. I'm thinking animes, books, stories, things of that nature where, like, oh, you know, a spellcaster does something absolutely cool and then they're unconscious for a week. <laughs> so for me, it's not strictly a spellcaster, but, you know, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is My Hero. Uh, mm. yep. Yeah, with Deku, he can't control the power yet, but he's using it and he's breaking all of his bones. Okay. I mean... Me and Mike have this probably the same one. It's the Dresden Files. Yeah, that's where I was thinking. <laughs> where if if you haven't read it, it's basically adult wizard male who's a, pri- a PI in Chicago with a gun, and it's cool as hell. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember like what other mom- like were there moments in that series where he did that specifically? I can spoiler redacted this, but this is just for our benefit. Uh, the end of the third book when he kills the vampires and starts the war. Oh yeah, when he just like. <laughs> <laughs> wipes mm-hmm. out way too many of them. And he, and then he's haunted for the rest of the series. Did he kill those humans? Oh, God. Yeah. Ooh, I love that that little element to it, though. It's like the collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like an overcasting thing, like, the collateral damage is either going to be you or, like, the moral consequences of what you've just done. Um, yeah, I always like the idea that... um Instead of it being like you do harm to yourself or something like that, it's more along the lines of like there's just an element that you haven't learned about yet. Like if a wizard casts power word kill, there's some sort of fourth dimensional thing that allows you to actually choose the target. And mm-hmm. it just randomly just chooses something in the area. It could be you, your you know, your allies, the tree. There's a bit of like recklessness in it. Um mm-hmm. that like it's like the, the the purest intention of the spell is like death. So like yep. the spell, since you're casting way beyond your abilities, the spell doesn't care what what is being hit with death. It's just death. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's, I love that. Yeah. It's like I hate you so much, I'll accidentally kill everything around you in an attempt to get rid of you. Or if it's like something that's supposed to be, it heals all your allies, or it only hurts enemies. It doesn't have that. Uh, you know, modifier. It just does what it does to whomever's around. So no modifiers, indiscriminate, mm-hmm. indiscriminate magic. That's cool. Um, one one thing I've always liked is like, because when you're like, I guess in D and D terms, like, there's this the you know the kind of magic weave that make that's how magic works. And in Asperon, that's a little that's very loose because the the concept of magic is your soul interfacing with the world around you. It's kind of like a hidden lore thing that we've, that's how, like, you know, resonance dips into that a little bit. Um, but like, God, where was I going with this? Mm. Um, I always love the idea that like, when you're like using your arcane power to dip into something that you don't understand and you're not 
you shouldn't be accessing, it, like, gets the attention of something. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a, an errant god or, a, like, an errant patron is like, hey, one, why are you doing this? Two, do you need help? <laughs> and they're just, like, maybe bargaining with you. I remember reading some series that was, was like, generic, you know, guy dies, comes back in the system world or something like that. And he develops a couple abilities, but then he accidentally develops some sort of, um, what was it? Like blood magic. And then all he has, and then all like, that's like the end of the book. And at the very end, it just mentions how the, like the coven of like, of the crimson red or something has been alerted to you or something like just an ominous statement that he learned something he shouldn't. And now something knows that he exists. Yes. Yes. I love it. That's cool. It's like, so maybe when you overcast, Oh my God, there's a tiny part of me that wants to get really funny and meta with it. There's like, I'm imagining a guild of casters whose job is to monitor for these kinds of events, because if people do it, too often it like can have world shattering consequences it's or maybe uh, there's just like a group of wizards say oh yeah no that's a absolutely a, like a seventh level spell but anyone can cast it anytime doesn't matter they just have government like no 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 it's too late for you it's too early for you, you can't do that yet no 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 it's governing how often people can cast these spells oh my god you just you you're you're like you appear and they're like aha you have cast above your pay grade sir um you cast a seventh tier evocation spell, and it looks like you were only capable of second. They write you a ticket. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, do they just get fined? But I, I feel like that would just beg the question of, would that make, uh, like, I guess, wizards, or when would that essentially create, like, a system of you mandatory school or something like that? Like, mandatory bard colleges and wizards? that they they kind of teach you almost indoctrinating you to be like yeah you shouldn't you, you can't you obviously cannot do this you can't overcast no that's just impossible so that people don't do it i kind of like the idea of it being more like i, I leaned into like the guild of casters that fi- like find you because you know it's funny um for the memes but right i kind of like the idea of most wizards going like yeah you can do that just don't um, because mm-hmm. usually whatever you get in the short term is absolutely dwarfed by the consequences in the long term. Because um, most most mages that would try it just explode. <laughs> like, there's some kind of drawback that is so dangerous that most wizards are like, yeah, yeah, don't do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm picturing, like, when you do that, uh, along the lines of, like, some, grabbing something to attention, kind of like uh, how... You'll, you're kind of like setting yourself up as like a beacon or something like that mm-hmm. where it's like it no now this patron or deity or something knows you have the ability like ha- you have potential and maybe they want to try and cultivate that into you now i love that you have potential to be like cu- cultivated or maybe instead of another entity the power itself is corrupting Ooh. so like from the back of your head now you're just like yeah i can do that whenever and it just you just keep trying to use that power over and like, just too much power over and over. So that just brings me to an idea is, like, what happens of it being kind of corrupting? Um, and, like, what happens if you overcast against a particular creature or against in a particular place? 
you're like permanently bound to it in a way now. Like imagine you you cast a, a death curse at somebody and you're like, I just want to send them as far away as possible. Like in a place where they will die and I will never see them again. And you do. You you somehow cast the wildest, most batshit crazy teleportation spell that has ever been cast. But you send them to a place where they don't die, and now you're permanently bound to them. And you could like the over the 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 consequences of the overcast is that like, hey, every time you sleep now, you can see them in your dreams and talk to them. That sucks, huh? What if it was like something specific? Like, I don't know if you over. If you overcast like banish or something like that, mm-hmm. and maybe you start to lose, and you constantly do that, maybe you start to lose pieces of yourself. Like they kind of disappear and start get your physical body starts to get banished in a way to this other plane. Ooh, I like that. So like overcasting, leaving like permanent problems. Yeah, and it could be specific to whatever spell you're using. So for like, yeah, like you said, for like fireball. It could maybe at some point you become like a ticking time bomb or like your body starts to kind of get smoldery or something. Oh, a ticking time bomb. That's kind of wild. Mm. It's like you, you overcast fireball, but at some random point in your future, you will also cast the difference. I feel like, you know, what would be really cool at that point, though, if we're going along the lines of that, you could you can do, you know, how like divine intervention is. Mm-hmm. it's kind of like that where you'll roll your percentile dice and but instead of divine intervention it's like you might explode if you hit the right number so that's kind of like how wild magic works right like you have that mm. particular number but instead of it being like oh i rolled a 13 i get a pigeon for instead of the spell oh no it's always the, just blow up it's always something to do with the actual spell's ability mm-hmm. like if it's teleport you, you don't control where you teleport, and you have a 50-50 shot of teleporting inside of something or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. If you're like, I overcast this spell, are you thinking, like, at some point in the future you roll a dice to see if it, like, a consequence triggers? Or is it, like, something that's tied up in the spell? Or, like, maybe it's something that, like, when you overcast, it damages your connection to how you cast magic. So the next time you cast magic, you could have a consequence from the spell you overcast. It's like... You cast teleport and it works, dope. But two days from now, you cast heal person. Oh shit! Now this person's stuck in a wall because the ramifications of my overcast have finally triggered. Maybe it's every time you succeed, the de- like you like every time you do it, you roll to see if you hit like to the de- to the ma- uh, dungeon master's discretion, like a just a random d twenty or d one hundred or whatever scale, like a certain number and. Every time you succeed or try either one, mm-hmm. you bring that number further and further down. So it's easier and easier to hit. Okay, so that's that's actually something I've a, f- a friend of mine sent it to me. It was something they do in one of the Dimension 20 arcs. They have a wild magic sorcerer. And every time the sorcerer fails a wild magic surge, the DC goes up by one. So instead of landing a one, now they have to land a one or a two. And then a one or two, three. Mm-hmm. And then they... The, the threshold for oh shit slowly mm. gets big or very quickly gets bigger. I like that. Yeah. So like every time you succeed, like the DC for having a disastrous drawback only gets higher. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. So here's like some thoughts. So we have a lot a lot of like cool themes to work on for consequences. Like you become a beacon for something, you become a time bomb, 
You take physical damage, you're bound to a place or a thing. The power itself corrupts you. You start to lose pieces of yourself. These are all really, really cool costs. Um, what would you guys use overcasting for? Because like, in a D&D setting, I think this from like the simple answer is like, oh, you can just cast a spell that you normally couldn't. Like something you, it's like, oh, I have burning hands. I want to cast it at fifth level. Would you use it to like modify spells you have? Would you use it to just cast stuff you normally don't have access to at really great risk? I mean, for me, it all depends on the character, but mm -hmm. a lot of times it would be basically like, oh, they're curious, or they read it in a book and didn't see like, you know, necessity of knowing how or why, and they just made an attempt. Or if they're some sort of, some sort of stern or serious one, mm -hmm. just happens to be in the middle of a fight and something just requires it. Or maybe they've been like, maybe it's an old warlock who's been locked out of the patron and they reach out to that darkness by accident. Oh, I like that. It's like something that you can sense and reach out to and engage with without realizing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's right. It really depends on the character. I know that O'Reilly would definitely <laughs> like just, yeah, just use, just get for different spells that he does not have access to. For, that's a no-brainer for him. And if we're talking about combat scenario, obviously, if he knows he's got something in his back pocket, but he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have any spell slots or the ability to use it right now, but mm -hmm. he's gonna have to try. Uh, he's gonna do it. Yeah. So for you guys, it seems very like character-driven. Like you're gonna poke at things you don't understand, or you're going to reach for stuff out of like curiosity and like drive um do you think you could ever see like in a playing scenario because what i what i would like to do with this like ultimate like the whole conversation is at the end i think it would be very cool to like come up with a mechanic for this um like a loose mechanic i did the same thing with um scruff reds player where we designed like a homebrew item that had rules and then that was a thing that we did um, and I'm thinking it'd be cool to have like a very loose rule set to allow someone to, you know, overreach if the circumstances allow it. Um, do you, do you see, do you guys see any space where like it, it could be interesting to modify the spells you have? Cause I know that's something a sorcerer can do with like their meta magic and their points where like they can add more targets or change a damage type or something. What do you guys think about that? Well, you can make it depend on the class, like, give, like, all the other classes, like, clerics and wizards, something like wizard's sorcery points, like, a uh, wizard can sacrifice, uh, can, like, sacrifice a future spell slot to, like, be able to try to do it, or, you know, like, give up casting for X amount of time, maybe. Oof. I love it. it. It goes to show how closely we think of these kinds of things, because I had two ideas from like doing my prep and it, they were give yourself a hand where you borrow the power to cast this spell from your future. The other one is pull the plug. You're severed from your abilities to cast magic for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. I was thinking um, if you did like uh, something, yeah, something along the lines of if you reach, you're, you're reaching too far, maybe <clears throat> Either, you know, it should, I think it should definitely give you some sort of exhaustion. Okay. Um, but not only that, but like your, um, 
it might affect your spell modifiers. Ooh. Ooh. So instead of just being not being able to uh, use magic, you could still use magic. It just progressively might just get your spell attack modifiers or whatever will just progressively get lower and lower to Ooh. the point where it's just like, I can't, I can keep doing this, but it's definitely not going to work. I like the idea of it, of like attacking the ability score that's tied to your spell casting. Cause that makes sense, right? Like, you're casting spells with wisdom, you overcast, you're drawing on that too much, and you maybe, like, roll... I'm wondering, I'm thinking about, there's a... The, do you guys know about the the creature? Um, they're just called Shadows. They're, like, really, really early game creatures. Um, but they have this ability where, when they deal damage to you, they can drain your strength score, which... For mm. early game characters, is absolutely terrifying because if your strength reaches zero, you straight up die, and they can kill you really fast. But what if, like, every time you overcast, maybe one of the costs that is, like, mandatory every single time is you roll a dice. So it's, like, maybe, like, you roll a d4, and your ability score drops by that many points. Or, like, Oof. maybe the first time it's a d4, the next time it's a 6. So, like, you're playing a very dangerous game. That's it. That's insane. I like it though. Not permanently. Yeah, not permanently. Yeah, not but permanently. Like... But yeah, no, I didn't even think of it like that. I was thinking uh like the spell attack modifiers. Well, so so the modif the modifiers are based on the skill anyway. So like if you rolled a D four, right, and you lost say four wisdom, your modifier would just go down by two. Right? Right. Right. I was thinking for some reason I was thinking something separate to that. So like you still have your um your wisdom would still be four but when you roll to attack it would just be like a minus whatever minus one or minus two um, yeah so you're not literally it's like it's more or less no, where but, you no, apply I like, the math yeah i like yours better though because i this shouldn't be something you use all the time it should yeah. definitely be something last resort so it really makes that, them think. That does remind me of my hero character, though. Ooh. What's the uh, electric guy who... Oh, when yeah, he, when yeah. He overdoes Kaminari. his ability? Yeah, yeah he, Kaminari. He becomes, like, he becomes really dumb. He, he fries his own mind. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, everything comes back to my hero, by the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such a good show, like... They've <laughs> taken a lot of the ideas. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, definitely. Okay, so I we like the idea of when it overcasts, like a mandatory cost is like attacking your ability scores. Um, and you could like make it so it lasts longer depending on how high the tier of the spell is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always thought that in s just to make sure you, no one goes super crazy, it would be whatever the spell is, but at its lowest level. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can't be like, oh yeah, I cast a fireball at ninth level because like I can cast fireball, but I can't cast it at ninth. But now I can. Nah, it's got to be. I think it should be base. And you could do stuff like ninth level spells, but it might require you to choose a whole new class because you can't cast spells of that like modifier anymore. Oh, oh, I didn't think about that. But well, so I cool wasn't too. thinking. By the way, I'm not thinking permanent. So like, if so, say if you chuck your wisdom down by four. Or something it's not like you're it's like a permanent effect because i kind of yeah. like the idea of back, like speaking back to rob what you were saying before is like the real fun rp driven like 
drawback of this kind of thing is not necessarily how it affects you, but how it affects everything around mm-hmm. you. So, like, we can get into the nitty-gritty of the numbers, and it's like, oh, well, your character has permanently lost all their wisdom, and now they have to be a fighter. Like, that's fun, but it's not, like, narrative. So, like, I kind of like the idea of it being temporary, and then we kind of lean in really hard to the disastrous effects of what you're doing. So, like, every time you overcast, there's a wild drawback or something like that to kind of offset it. I was going to say, that could be, I was just thinking, like, that kind of, like, I haven't put this in the backstory, but the last character play shown, like, he used to be a cleric, and you could just have it, like, he tried that, failed, and not only, like, maybe they lose his ability, but lost his connection to the god or something, you know, like, something minor, which is why he's a warlock now. That's, like, that's a good backstory element, too. Yeah, because mm-hmm. narratively speaking, you could, if you can lose it temporarily, there is the possibility of, you know, losing it permanently, probably. But it doesn't, ha- you know, I feel like that's up to the DM. Yeah, and I didn't mean like. To be like permanent or not. And I wasn't saying like they lose it like permanently. I'm just saying like it's such a long time or it's such a random chance you can get it back. Like it's not like mm-hmm. 100% you have it. Like your first level, you cast Power Word Kill. You shouldn't be able to get it back within a couple days, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. So maybe, like, so we have, like, when you overcast, it attacks the ability scores you're using, and then we attach that depending on the strength of the spell. So it's like, oh, if you're doing a a spell that's between levels 1 and 3, you roll a d4, and it takes this long for it to go away. Or Mm -hmm. you roll a d6, an 8, 10, like, we scale it up so that it's like a kind of a chart. Yeah, for based on levels. I like that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, because yeah, if you can if you can cast ninth level spells, then you sh- you know, a higher dice would be better than like a lower. Mm-hmm. So, I have this brings me to my next thought, um which is mechanically, how do we limit how often someone can do this? And I'm only saying this because two of our characters in the Gilded Lily both have access to spell books that are wildly strong and they just don't understand. And the Hello. idea of Zira or Riley just <laughs> casting power word kill by accident is like, I feel like there should be a certain tier where like maybe failure is will always like you will always fail the spell. Like it rebounds on you. It's like someone, a level one wizard tries to cast power word kill and the spell is just you know, so nasty that it digs into them, or, like, maybe it's, like, a you can't, like, if you try, it just fails and nothing happens. Like, what do you guys think about that? Uh, oh, definitely, there should be a limit. I'm trying to think of, like, I I don't even know. Like, I would think like, once, not even once per encounter, but maybe once per encounter, because, you know, that, usually you'll use up your spell slots during an encounter so if you have back to back to back um and then you use like you have one encounter and you use all your spell slots and then you have another encounter and then you have nothing Mm -hmm. so then maybe if it's just like once per encounter because then you would have to save it i will say with how we play this might work for other campaigns but with how we play Every episode is like, and if we have an encounter, it's usually two episodes. That's true. So, like, from a, a, a show standpoint, someone might overcast twice in less than five episodes, which could be a lot. 
or it could be a little. I do like the idea of like, hmm, maybe there's like a bit of randomness to it. Like when you, so we know we're rolling a dice to see how much it hits your ability score. And we know that we want you to not be able to do it for a certain amount of time. What if it's like um, a D20 kind of thing? Or is it like a D100 kind of thing? Like you can't use it for that many days or that many hours? Or if you want to change your DM style a little bit. I'm always open to that. <laughs> you could make spell casting focuses actually really matter. And then like as they overcharge, the durability of that slowly or quickly, depending on how strong the spell is, crumbles away. Uh-oh. Yeah, okay. Ooh, I kind of like the idea so, of an overcharge. Like, so it can only hold like so many charges before it just can't can't be used anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it might just turn to dust afterwards. Okay, so maybe yeah, yeah. So the idea mm-hmm. of it overpowering your focus or like your component bag, I kind of like that. So then it wipes out your ability to spell cast. How do you guys? Yeah. This just brought me to another thought. How do you feel about the kind of idea of, like, so one of my little lines of notes here says finding reagents to be able to overcast? Because, like, another way to limit it in a kind of hand-wavy way is to, like, allow your players to um, have to find reagents or items that'll let them do this. I've played in a campaign before where, like, on occasion, the DM would hand out potions that they were basically mana potions. And when you took them, you just rolled a dice and that's how many spell slots you just get back. And you can, like, decide. But that's effectively what we're doing here, just on a more, like, gamified scale. Do you, how do you feel about, like, maybe there's particular kinds of focuses that let you do this? It's like a one-time use kind of thing? Or do like we want to keep... finding a rare item? Yeah, like imagine like a rare item, like an amulet that will let you overcast something. Like just cast a spell at a way high level. But that's very like, it's not very narrative heavy because then the wording would have to be something really specific. Uh, That also might get into a weird um, RPG standpoint where, you know, where you have a whole, where you have this thing that you should definitely use, but because you don't know the right time to use Mm, it, you're like, I'm just going to hold on to it. Okay, so maybe we, might... we we lean into the idea of it being more like a narrative thing that technically, like technically, the moment we institute this in the game, every player can do it immediately if they wanted to. <laughs> but like, I was thinking... the, the the restriction is based on how often you can do it. Right. Um. How many? How much exhaustion does it take to die? Uh. Or uh, three, four? four? Yeah, I think you're right, Rob. It's it's like three or four. I would say, I would argue that whenever you use it, um, you have to roll for exhaustion. If you succeed a constitution saving throw, mm-hmm. you get one point. But if you fail, you lose two points. Oh. That way you can only either cast it, at max you can cast it four times at max, or two times at least. Okay. <laughs> like on the very crazy end. So like... So maybe overcasting is an action, and like as part of the action, you do these things. You make a constitution save to see how much exhaustion you get from it, because it's guaranteed. Um, 
and we roll a dice to see what how how much your ability score you're basically sacrificing right mm -hmm. because like you're guaranteed to lose like say if you're a druid you're guaranteed to lose some wisdom doing this um or as a wizard you're guaranteed to be a little more stupid <laughs> at the end of this so like maybe that's part of the action so we got that we like the drawbacks it's like attack the ability score give them points of exhaustion that'll like prevent them from ever like doing it all the time mm -hmm. um i think we're in a good spot with that that we can build it into something really cool hey folks don't worry i won't be keeping you long since this is the mint roll probably just as much time as you'd give your mail person dropping off that sweet christmas merch you've been buying speaking of packages we do have merch you can buy to support the show you'll find it linked in our episodes and on our website just click the red bubble icon on the top right of our banner since it's the holiday season, our schedules are a bit more crunchy than normal. Don't worry, that doesn't mean we won't be releasing episodes. It just means that sometimes you'll get cool bonus content like this that we keep in our back pocket for rainy days. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, my next thought for you is what mechanically do you think is more fun? I know, Rob, you love to do like random dice rolls. Um, absolutely you're like a random dice roll guy josh for you mechanically when it comes to like spell casting and like the dice the, you know the, the crunchy dice part of the game what do you enjoy the most uh wait sorry what do you mean so like if you were to do this um there's plenty of ways mechanically we could do it it could be a do you make a you make a skill check to see if you do this thing and then you roll a bunch of dice or it could be like a ritual where you have to gather like gather things and do it over a period of time. Or it's like a skill challenge where you have to successfully do a handful of things to make it happen. Mm. What mechanically seems more fun to you? Rob is like, like I said, Rob is the type of person who loves randomness. So like if I was like, yeah, you can do this thing, but you have to roll randomly on five tables to see what kind of wild shit happens. Like, I feel like right. you'd love that. <laughs> I'd also oh, yeah. like that idea too, but I do I do enjoy the skill challenge. That okay. would seem like the best course of action for me at least. Um, you know, you got to do mm -hmm. uh, maybe like intelligence to maybe even or and like uh, what is it like do a concentration check too mm -hmm. to make sure you can concentrate on the spell that you're overcasting. Uh, some other kind of check to maybe even see if it goes well um, or it even gets off, you know? Can you give me one sec? I have to mute real quick. Sorry. Can you guys still hear me? Oh, you can. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's coughing. Oh. Hi, hi, oh, my goodness. God. Right in the mic. Hi, please. You can stop anytime. Just, just go into the bathroom. Cover your mouth, sir. Are are you dry heaving now? Oh my god. Someone call Becky. I think you need an ambulance. <laughs> we might if he is coughing, he might and we might be making it worse. <laughs> we might be making him laugh and then he's starting to cough more because of that. I don't feel bad. I, I'm getting a laugh out of this, so exactly. I'm pretty good at this. Oh, <laughs> I am back. <laughs> oh, he made it. Good. Yes, I didn't die. Nice. Yet. 
I'm learning that That's this fair. cider goes through me very quickly. Mm. Damn, we were wrong. What did you think, Hall? Yeah, what's nothing. the deep lore? <laughs> nothing you'll find now. out. Oh, yes, yeah, so you'll just listen to it. You'll just listen to it. I'll listen to it, message you later, laughing. Um, <laughs> okay, so we like the idea of random tables. Um, so, like, random consequences or costs. And we like the idea of kind of a skill challenge. I think gathering resources and reagents, like, that's a thing that I wrote down, but it feels very, like, boring. I just feel like that that could be good in, like, a different campaign, though. In, like, a more realistic, like, a hardcore campaign, you know? Yeah, I feel like in another campaign, like, you might, you could find a wizard who's like, hey, I'm trying to overcast this spell and I need some help. Can you guys do this quest for me? And then, like, that's a whole arc. <laughs> right. Because, like, I feel like what we want what we want as the immediate is just to be able to do it practically whenever, but have consequences that force us not to do it. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea, like, you put in, like, a specific MacGuffin that can do it. Like, God's Blood or something. Something that's so daunting to get that you probably will never see it, though. Yep. I kind of like that. It's like, you know, the, if you have the blood of an angel, you can overcast without consequences. But, like, it's a finite resource, and... Angels are tough to kill. <laughs> it's or, like a philosopher's stone. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> or you can, like, if for Warlock specifically, or even Cleric for that matter, if you somehow got, like, you could force your patron into a deal to allow you to do it. Yeah, so that was one thing I was thinking of. So I, I kind of have this table written up of, like, random. Well, I didn't say random. I was just like, oh, this is a thing that it could exist. But also, mm -hmm. like... Um, random consequences. Um, and one of them was strike a bargain, which is like right up Warlock Alley. It's like you're trying to do this. Mm -hmm. And one of the guaranteed drawbacks or costs is that like you have to strike a bargain. Um, some of the other ones, like I said before, are like giving yourself a hand. So stealing spell slots from your future, um, pulling the plug, unraveling magic, which is just wild consequences. Um uncontrolled destruction, blood sacrifice, spawn a natural disaster. <laughs> so, like, imagine if you you overcast and you make an earthquake by accident. I like the idea that, like, it could be... I like the idea of it making it somewhat different for each, like, class. Like, warlocks can make a deal with, like, their patron, but it's... or something like that. Or maybe, like, a cleric can't turn to their god, they have to turn to something else. Ooh, so like, what if yeah. each, what if each class has its own like drawback table or something? Mm -hmm. It's a little, it gets a little like crunchy, but like once a DM knows the characters that they have, it could be a little more fun. I'm not I mean, how often do you have more than two different types of spellcasters? That's true, not very often, and yeah. in, in the Gilded Lily's case, never. <laughs> because <laughs> they're all wizards <laughs> makes my life easy yeah i do like i do like that maybe for yeah exactly like warlocks um would be their pact is more solidified because they're overcasting and maybe clerics are on the opposite side where the god is like is like i was i'm trying to help you by limiting mm -hmm. what you can do but you are obviously not happy with that so I'm going to pull back and my resources from you. Yep. So what if it was like three tables? There's a holy one and Arcanum one, which is like, you know, straight up wizards. 
and then there's an Eldritch one. So like we have three tables with different kind like different sets of consequences. It's a little more complicated, but like we have the themes that are there. Um The Eldritch one could be just giving more of yourself to your patron. The mm-hmm. celestial yeah. one could just be like the more you do it, the more like your god is to turn away from you. Yeah. And like then that. the Arcana so much. Maybe like maybe one of the the drawbacks is like your so like if all the other tables are like oh you've been your plug's been pulled you're severed from your magic for x amount of time what if like the cleric one or like the one where you're devoted to a being is absurdly is way higher because it's like the the being is like oh you know you you really really screw you you're in time so out <laughs> yeah or or it's just like you have like you roll a chance for like the god to like intervene to stop you. Oh, divine! That's a negative draw. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I like that. I didn't even think of that. Is like, what if in the immediacy of you doing this, a being intervenes, and and that is like the form of your immediate consequence. That's spicy. And if you keep doing it, the god will eventually just cut you off, and you have to choose a new god. And there's only one god that like accepts people like that do that. Got but it. no one likes that god, so you're not like welcome many places mm-hmm. it just reminds me of of that saying where it's like if it's so bad then someone from the future would come back and stop me <laughs> i kind of like the idea though because there's the thing about Asperon is like like most religions they believe that you know their gods created them um but in Asperon, it's actually the other way around these people made Stories, songs, religions, all these things about these deities that govern the way their life works, and then their belief resonated together and made these beings. So I kind of like the idea that that there's one particular patron that I think it's come up in the Gilded Lily. It might have come up in one of our world-building episodes, but there's a patron called the Shattered Seeker. For sailors, it's the patron of um, shipwrecks and finding treasure at sea. Because like a shattered ship at the bottom of the ocean and the seeker that's come to find it. But I feel like the Shattered Seeker could also be the patron of Overcasters. Because, like, you shatter the world around you where you break yourself to, like, take something that you want. Like, take something that you seek or take power that you shouldn't have. So I feel like like what, what Rob was saying is, like, if you're a divine, story-wise, if you overcast too much, you immediately catch the attention of this patron. I also think there should be, like... Maybe a negative if you're if you're like some sort of divine following it, like other mm-hmm. divines shun you or something or something. Yeah, it shows that you were just kicked. You were most likely kicked out for doing something your god doesn't want. I like this. So, like for each each like type of magic, we have a table of drawbacks and costs, and then um, maybe each of those has a particular has like a small table of like. Of minor effects so like when you make an artifact in a DD game um the dm dm's guide is full of tables of these like minor and major properties and every artifact is like roll 1d whatever on the minor properties table and that's what this artifact has for this campaign aside from its normal powers maybe that's a thing mm-hmm. is like every whenever you overcast you have to roll on this table to see what minor effect hits you and like maybe for the holy people it's like every time you go into like sacred ground you literally smell different or like <clears throat> things like that 
so that like people who would be of your faith no- notice there's something off and something a little wrong about you. And then like we have different ones for each thing, and then you roll on the drawbacks and the costs. Um, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say about the tables though. Uh, was that a roll thing, or is it like a compounded first time you do it, second time you do it? So that was going to be an ask um, for you guys because I think it could be either. Um, yeah, yeah. The 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 list that I had written down was just like, oh, in the in in this m- instant of casting, this is a drawback that I think would happen, like rampant destruction. You have no control over what the spell targets or like unraveling magic. Your spell does fire off, but it also comes with a slew of effects that you did not ask for. Haley's kind of experienced this a little bit in the show where like that entire region is a zone of unraveling magic. It's basically a wild mm-hmm. magic forest. So like it could be something like that where every spell has a wild byproduct. Um that's kind of how I was thinking of the random tables work. So like every time you cast, there's a a chance something else happens that's kind of dangerous. And then like story ones like strike a bargain, right? That's very narrative. Maybe say you cast once and you strike a bargain and you cast twice and the patron's like, ooh, you like doing this, huh? Now the patron has leverage and that's a new story element. Right. So it's very much up to like DM's discretion. How do you guys feel about that? So like what we have written down so far is if you want to overcast, you roll a check to see how much exhaustion you get. And then when you overcast, you sacrifice some of your ability score to do so for a a random amount of time, depending on what you're casting. And then you have your drawbacks or costs. And do we want to leave it at that? So like, say if you're a wizard, you're like, I read about this spell that's way above my pay grade and I want to try and overcast it. And, you know, say it succeeds, but there's a drawback. Um, We think we wanted to do that check as like a skill challenge kind of thing. Is that what we kind of landed on? I think so, but I think there should always be a, some sort of drawback, or the ca- or something character driven, so that they don't just like always do it. What if, what if you're guaranteed a drawback every single time you overcast, no matter what? You always roll on the table, but if you fail on the skill challenge part, you roll again. So you get two. So it's like, yeah, you get two drawbacks. And are these drawbacks like permanent? No, I think after a certain amount of time, they undo themselves. Okay. Unless it's like strike a bargain. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? If if you had a table of drawbacks, mm-hmm. would you like them to be... I use the word temporary hesitantly because in a fantasy setting, temporary could be months, it could be years, but it's right. still, you know, not permanent. Um, I like the idea of like, there's like some minor, some ma- like very few, like very bad ones, but some minor ones where it's just like, uh, this level one wizard tried to cast teleport at several whatever whatever nonsense, but and then all that like it it works, but all they do is singe their hands, so they like get used to it and do it more and more. But over time, they will surely hit one of the you know worse ones. They may not know how bad it's going to get, but so it will eventually. Maybe maybe the <clears throat> if you maybe the minor ones could be semi permanent and like after. a after so you you roll once you overcast once you roll for a minor um effect then you do it again at after the fact and 
you get another minor and say like after three after compounding three minor effects you automatically they get removed and you automatic the next time you cast they get removed but you get a major effect oh so they like they're se yeah so they're semi-temporary until they lead up to something bigger and then the the minor the three minors get taken away for something major okay and that and that major could be more permanent yeah yeah okay so just to rehash so we're not going hog wild um we have overcast we're basically making the overcast action that's how we're gonna wedge it into D D here um you roll a constitution save to see how much exhaustion you get you get your exhaustion then you pick your spell that you want to, to either overcast. Do we want to stick it strictly to overcasting? So, like, if it's a spell that you have at least seen, or let's just say studied. Yeah, I feel like you have to have some sort of knowledge because it just doesn't make sense. Um, and the only way that, for me, that makes sense is if you have a patron of some sort. So either a warlock or a cleric might be able to do something like that, where they, like, I need to do this but i don't know the specific spell and then their like patron or deity could give them the inspiration i'm doing quotation marks mm -hmm. um to do that but other i feel like other characters wouldn't be able to pull that off i mean you could i mean you could take Haley as an example he spent the majority of his life just reading stories about great you know heroes saving the day and reading about the after effects of their spells he probably doesn't know the names of the spells, but he knows that there's a spell that like mass cures, mass cure wounds and whatnot. Yeah, so he like vaguely knows these spells exist. I kind of like so maybe we write it in as like a narrative thing. It's like, hey, look, you can overcast to a spell that you don't have act like that you have heard about, but maybe the DC is just a little harder. In the same way that like a divination spell fails if or it becomes harder if you don't know the person at all or like the location you're trying to scry on you know maybe that's like something that's factored into the challenge so step one roll your save get your exhaustion step two pick your spell step three is basically um a skill like kind of a skill challenge on how to overcast yeah i feel yeah like maybe a history check or something if you don't know the actual spell like maybe where you would have heard it or some such. Yeah, so some kind of skill check. And then we can flavor that to be whatever. Um, yeah. That works whatever out suits be. that character. Yeah, whatever suits the character. So it's... So basically, yeah. So to tie it up in a nice bow, it's con save. You get your exhaustion. You pick your spell. You roll your skill check. Then pass or fail. You roll on the drawback table, and you get a minor effect. And if you fail, you get two drawbacks. So, like, it adds that there's an extra cost. Mm. Oh, and, yeah, don't forget the uh, uh, rolling to subtract from your proficient, or your modifiers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Maybe that's just the, like, always negative. Like, you don't even roll on the chart just when it happens. That's always what happens, and then you roll to see if anything extra happens. Yeah, I like those as part of it. Um, so it's like the baked-in effects are that no matter what, you're going to get exhaustion, no matter what, you're going to lose modifiers. Because, like, this has to be an expensive thing for a character. 
and like a dangerous thing because these drawbacks are also pretty dangerous um and then like what's random is your drawback and your like minor effects right are we still doing that compounded one um what do you mean by compounded oh the minors yeah the yeah the minors compound until they become a bigger one i like that but i'm wondering if it gets a little too table heavy because this is a, a the only thing I'm thinking of is like for combat because I combat is slow and I did I despise it and this feels like mm. a lot of stuff to do in one turn in combat. You um, could, or you can make it that like in combat in character like adrenaline's rushing they don't know like you, you can't tell this is happening and then it's, like you make a mark you make a like as a DM you make a mark and then you tell them after combat after they just calm down if they survived. That this is the consequence, you know. Yeah. So the consequence. They look down at their hand and see the hand burnt. Yeah. Okay. I like that mm. a lot. Um. So let me read off the drawbacks that I have written. I think this will be the last little piece we do here, um, because that's where it seems to be like. When I say drawbacks, I mean costs. Um, the minor stuff we can just generate a table of cool random stuff for that. Um, so the costs I have blood sacrifice. It causes immense damage to your body, like a certain amount of damage per spell level. Rampant destruction. You have no control over what the spell targets, so it basically targets what you were aiming for, but way more than that. So if you're like, I want to immolate this one guy, you're going to immolate a 30-foot radius around them, um, and it's going to cost you. Um, Unraveling magic, which is like unexplained byproducts. Pull the plug, you're severed from your abilities. Give yourself a hand. Take your own power from the future. And when I say take your own power from the future, it's at the DM's discretion. Mostly what would be the most narratively ironic thing to happen to you. <laughs> um, strike a bargain. This will cost you, but you have to make a deal with something in order for it to happen. Spawning a natural disaster, which is just like the world responds in a... The world re reacts to what you're doing um, in a way that's not... It's very dangerous for you and your allies. The Eye of a Pursuer... An entity responsible for governing, like, the limits of magic, blah, 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 now sees you as a problem, which is more of a narrative cost that hits you later. I have a tether, which, like, you're now permanently bound to the location or target of your casting, and this is kind of from the idea that, like, if you cast the same spell in one place over and over and over again, it gets permanently bound there, and, like, overcasting would do that to you. Um, and then an intervention like the concept of an intervention, which would be like a deity stepping in to try and stop what you're doing or help. Who knows? Is there any other costs you could think of? Like it would be fun to have to narratively give this up or have to deal with this. Cause a lot of these are going to be a DM's discretion. You could have it be like some sort of like, not really like, I mean, it's a cost where you have to have like a like-minded spellcaster aid you so like you could have like a ritual with three sorcerers so that still allows you to cast a higher level ritual or you know oh so like requiring help so like siphoning power mm -hmm. from someone else to get this done yeah make someone else pay for your you know what you need yeah or like share the burden yeah kind of like the end of guardians of the galaxy i was thinking that too yeah that's that's so that that kind of moment is exactly what the um we i want this you know, thing to be designed to do. Um, and spoiler alert, the reason I have brought in Rob and Josh to do this particular thing is because both these characters are very well suited to this chart and Hele much sooner rather than later. 
um, especially because we've already established that the whole forest, the whole like region is falling apart um, where Hele is. So we'll be dabbling into this very soon. Uh, Rob, probably on our next recording. <laughs> Uh, I have a I have a very uh, dirty surprise planned for you guys. Because um, you're in the woods. Yes. And there's dirt. <laughs> no, it's just it's Alea's dirt pouch is actually a mimic. That's the dirty surprise. You know, I would actually enjoy that one a lot. <laughs> Do you like mimics? I, I love mimics. Mimics are great. Oh jeez. I've used it once. I'm, one time I've used. I'm it. reading a uh, book series where the main characters found like. Someone in like someone had a shop and they just found in the shop a small little like jewelry box and they found out that that was a mimic, but it was just so used to just not like everything being too big that it stays hidden for as long as it possibly can. And they just kind of like keep it as a pet now. Like they've coaxed it out, feed it like flies and whatnot. That's cute. The new Tasha's book added like juvenile mimics that you can like Mm -hmm. probably adopt if you're clever enough, but I love them. I try not to use them too much because they're real. Once you use it once, you only need to use a mimic once for it to be effective in the the course of a whole campaign. I just do. Sun can speak to this, but um, in their in a, a game I ran for him, they encountered a mimic, and it bit one of them, and then immediately fled into a dark mansion, and they <laughs> never saw it again. But boy, I've never seen people so terrified of a dining room full of totally mundane plates and forks and cups. <laughs> they like open the door, saw a fully set empty table, and was like, "Nope." <laughs> Close. I door. just remember after the fact that you that we went to that like shop and I called it. I was like, "It's a mimic," and then you were like, "I'm not gonna ha- give him the satisfaction of being right." It was nothing but a rat. In the moment, it, I, I decided that it was going to be a squirrel knocking over a can so that they would be disarmed to the mimic that they would encounter later. And it worked out great. You guys were terrified. Like, it was just a squirrel. Oh, thank God. Oh, good. I thought it was. I thought that can was going to try and eat me. In my defense, I feel like that was when I was playing Prey. <laughs> so yeah. I, was, oh, I was weary of it. I was weary of anything that was small and moving. Mimics and I would have called it a fear. mimic that. Mimics and shapeshifters are my favorite things. Um. Okay, so I think we got enough meat here to get off something good. Um, overcasting is basically just getting your anime moment um, with a lot of costs and drawbacks that could be very dangerous for you. Um, but narratively, really dope. That works. Yeah. Um, All right. You guys have any thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to say to the audience? This is a thing I've been throwing on people at random. <laughs> yabba dabba do. Dabba dee, dabba die. If I was green. <laughs> All right. We are signing off. Hopefully in our next episode of Tales of Asperon, you will see Haley getting into some overcasting shenanigans. Good night, everybody. Stay safe and see you soon. Hey, hey, thank you for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that little bit of player-led world building. As a DM, it always gets me really excited to let the players just dig in and sculpt some of the places they'll be visiting. So, you know, it's as much their story and their experience as it is mine, and they get to make some cool shit that I would probably never think of. If that's not your thing, well, good news. We're returning to our regular scheduling next week, with another episode of The Gilded Lily.
Stay safe and see you soon. I thought that was Andrew for a second. Recording yeah, same. is starting. Oh, he did. He did hop in. All right, let's go. Hey, Recording. I'm going to mute myself now, but uh, I'm here and I'm enjoying you. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Well, oddly weird about that. Um, well, not that weird. No, it's a very normal thing for him. Just Great. Now I really want another Reese's pota- potato chips. Uh, Reese's uh, should not have potato chips in them. That's all I'm saying. It's, I'm sorry, it's, what? We gotta hash this out again. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so I just bought a Reese's potato chips big cup. So it's it's just a big, it's like a Reese's cup with potato chip pieces in it. You They're know, really, actually, that makes sense. Yeah, right. And it, oh, it doesn't oh, make sense, no. but it tastes good. It tastes <laughs> no, actually it makes, really good. It makes absolute sense. When I was growing up, I used to make um, peanut butter sandwiches with potato chips in them I, all the time. What the? You, I said it. I said it. He literally no. said that word for word, and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah, no, that's completely normal. That's yes, wild. I knew somebody would ha- would be doing it. I mean, I okay, have not first done of all, that. let me let me moderate that. It's normal to me. Yeah, I have not done that, but I just I felt like some people would do that. Yeah, it's something that my mother did, and it's something that she learned from her parents. So it, you got to figure her parents were born in the 30s, uh, so it's been going on at least in, since the invention of the potato chip as we know it. So Jesus. Yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe you guys are the weird ones. I live under a very weird rock, I guess. I mean, I just assume there. because, you know, you put, have you not put chips on just a regular, like, sandwich thing? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, on chicken they clubs specifically, so many things. Okay, yeah. but I'm, um, but yeah, but you know, a peanut butter or peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a sandwich. Why wouldn't somebody have tried that? Yeah, the and then the, the sweet and salty combo. Mm-hmm. The power is real, like like well, a bacon donut. Yeah, yeah, delightful. I don't like that. I'm weird. I don't like that either. I mean, I don't like bacon mm-hmm. donuts. To be, to be fair, um, but I do, I do like sweet and salty stuff but to me bacon is not primarily salty the 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 flavor i get most from bacon is like fat and savory Mm. and and definitely definitely not shy about being meat so the meat and the donut is a little weird to me i'm like okay indulgent anyway now i'm muting myself (laughs) now i'm trying to imagine bacon that is shy about being meat Indulgent bacon. bacon. Yeah, I was about to say you've described Canadian bacon, which apologizes <laughs> what, for what being. What did you say, Rob? Indulgent bacon. Indulgent bacon. What? Worst magic item ever. Okay, now that I'm recording, um, Josh, are you recording? I was recording since you said you were recording. Dope. All right, so you got all that. Nice. Yeah, that'd be a good post. That should be the intro. It's been a couple minutes. It's either a cold open or a hot close. I tend to put weird it's... shit at the end of the episodes. Oh, please. Let's start with the uh, potato chips Reese's cup. Just coming in hot right out of the gate. No episode intro, just that. It's just like a couple seconds. Of I'll, I'll run a poll and ta- and uh, let it run on Twitter to see if the fans agree with you. 